This is AgriPulse Open Mic. I'm your host, Jeff Daly. Our guest this week is Jim Sutter, CEO of the U.S. Soybean Export Council. AgriPulse Open Mic is brought to you by NCIS, the National Crop Insurance Services. America's crop insurance industry provides individualized protection of more than 290 million acres of farmland. Crop insurance remains the smartest, most efficient way to secure America's food, fiber, and fuel supply. AgriPulse Open Mic continues with Jim Sutter next. America's crop insurance industry is thankful for the continued support of farmers, commodity organizations, rural businesses, lenders, and lawmakers who are fighting to maintain a strong farm safety net. The National Crop Insurance Services provide individualized protection on more than 290 million acres of farmland. Crop insurance remains the smartest, most efficient way to secure America's food, fiber, and fuel supply. This is AgriPulse Open Mic. Global production of oilseeds has thus far exceeded insatiable consumer demand. Jim Sutter is CEO of the U.S. Soybean Export Council, which serves as the international arm for the nation's soybean industry. Sutter says USEC doesn't sell soybeans, but complements the work of exporters. He says the job is a lot easier when there is a good trade relationship between governments. It always helps when you have a sort of government-to-government agreement. Now, we see NAFTA. Uh, I think it's pretty widely publicized. The agricultural benefits and certainly the benefits to the soy industry that we've seen since NAFTA came to be. We've seen similar growth or rapid growth in Colombia since we had a free trade agreement there. Uh, other places as well. So... I hope that Undersecretary McKinney is very successful in his travels and develops these kind of good trading relationships that allow the U.S. to be a preferred supplier in these markets around the world and have fair trading relationships. You know, it's always better if we have, I guess, a formal trading agreement. I think it's going to be, you know, it's, all those things take some time. We certainly don't want to see anything happen that would take us out of NAFTA. I know there's been some discussion about that, but we're we're certainly communicating how important NAFTA is for soy farmers and the other trading agreements that we have in place. And we are trying to work to make sure we get these agreements in place in other countries as well. China is the 800-pound gorilla in the room in terms of the supply of uh, soy that they purchase that's available for the export market, almost two-thirds. Chinese lately have been purchasing more from Brazil. Chinese are recognizing uh, soy uh, from Brazil that might have a bit higher quality than ours. And the Chinese are raising some questions about foreign material and shipments from the U.S. How delicate is the situation with China now, and how are we working through some of these issues to maintain market share? In terms of the issues raised by China with regard to, um, and, I'll, and I'll talk first about the, uh, the weed seed and the, the recent agreement that's gotten some press between APHIS and AQSIQ to deal with China's concern about quarantine issues in U.S. soy, which has kind of come to, come to play in this uh, new agreement regarding uh, measurement of FM. Um, we think that the agreement that APHIS and AQSIQ have put in place, which will hopefully allow for the smooth continuation of U.S. soy exports to China, uh, even though uh, shipments may be over the 1% FM threshold, which is what China has their stated goal of wanting to see, 
but the kind of standard of the trade from the U.S. has been a 2% FM level. So we think that by having this two-year agreement that they have negotiated, which uh, has assured that China won't reject any shipments, uh, but yet will allow these shipments to go in with some additional study and some additional possible uh, measures to clean out any quarantine weed seeds that are there, we're optimistic that that will be a good agreement and will allow U.S. soy to flow freely into China. Now, I know there are some concerns with this, uh, because anything that's new, uh, until we actually see how it uh, gets implemented, there are some, uh, uh, you know, some natural things to worry about there. Uh, our team on the ground in China has been very involved in talking with uh, all of the various parties involved in this. And, and we are optimistic that all of the parties want to see this work and want to see this move in the right direction and don't want to see trade disruptions come from this. I think it is critical that we watch very carefully and we make sure that the treatment that the U.S. receives in this regard is similar to treatment that all other origin countries receive, because we certainly can't have a situation where the U.S. is disadvantaged in any way versus uh, versus other origins in terms of uh, the kind of AQSIQ inspections or restrictions or treatment that our U.S. soybeans receive. Jim, is it safe to say that the testing methods that the Chinese use for the boats that arrive in port there are of similar circumstance for the way that we would test here? Are the, are the protocols the same? Uh, Jeff, yes. Uh, we've actually done a joint sampling regime where we had representatives from China's AQSIQ come over and work together with FGIS and jointly sample vessels here in the United States. Then the groups traveled to China and jointly sampled the vessels that discharged in China. And we did this as a a means of seeing if there were significant differences in the way that that testing was done and the results that came up. And over the course of the various vessels that were part of that program, the sampling results or the testing results were pretty similar. So we feel comfortable that they have... If they use those procedures and if they, uh, you know, as long as we all follow the same things, that we will have results that can be duplicated and replicated. I'm I'm very glad that 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 testing regime took place. That was initially uh, agreed upon with the Chinese back in 2010 and then was implemented over the next few years following that. So I think that's a very good thing that we put in place and did that sort of testing. Are they having a similar question about the supply that's coming from South America? Are there challenges about their sample, or is their infrastructure and procedure as such that they don't run into some of the same issues we're having here? Well, that's a good question. We understand, and we have specifically asked the question here very recently, we understand that the uh, supplies that come from South America will be held to the same standard which, as I mentioned earlier, we think is extremely important. I'm not aware that they have done a similar testing uh, regime to be able to compare testing from the origin and testing in the destination from Brazil and China. We sometimes hear that shipments from the United States have higher levels of foreign matter than shipments from South America. Anecdotally, that's the information that we get and we hear. We haven't seen any actual statistics to that effect. You know, one of the things that, that will be a part of this whole program is a systems approach that APHIS is talking about and working with industry on ensuring that we get implemented. And this will involve farmers at the origin level 
in trying to come up with processes where we reduce the amount of weed seed that is actually on the farm and then introduced into the crop. So we'll be working with the United Soybean Board, and I know that uh, APHIS will be working with all of the FSA offices to try and help with some of those uh, processes and educational steps that can be taken to reduce the amount of weed seed. And one of the things that we believe is really important for that, and this gets back to the market access work that we do, is making sure that we get the, uh, the prompt approval for new biotech events that can help producers deal with any uh, weed issues, you know, uh, herbicide-tolerant weeds that may come up in their crops. So we believe it's all really tied together. And so as, as this agreement uh, puts some pressure on the United States to try and improve their pro- our processes here, we believe this is an opportunity for us to put some pressure on people that are in a position to be approving new traits that, we, that our farmers need to have access to to be able to grow the crops that uh, we're hearing from our customers that they want. So, you, so people can rest assured that we'll be utilizing this as an opportunity to try and use uh, to, to put some pressure on uh, countries like China to be approving these new biotech events so we can so our farmers will have access to these new technologies. It was a difficult harvest in parts of the country uh, last year, and we are seeing some preliminary reports that perhaps the Brazilian crop might have just a little higher protein content than that of the U.S. Is this standard fluctuation, or is this another obstacle that you and others who are trying to gain opportunity for the U.S. soy industry may have to face? You know, Mother Nature has a lot to do with the crops that we grow every year. And uh, weather conditions, certainly last year we had, you know, wet conditions, dry conditions, all over things. And, and that certainly played a role in the crop that we grew. Every year for the last few years, we have done uh, a, a program. Uh, currently, we do it at the University of Minnesota where we collect samples. We send out about 6,000 sample kits to farmers. We receive about uh, a third of those back with soybean samples in them from all over the country. And we take those results and we release them uh, in the key markets around the world and share the results of the, the, the U.S. soy uh, quality parameters for that year's crop because buyers around the world are interested in that. So my point of sharing all that is we've, we've done a lot of work historically and we've seen this. And while, yes, this past year's crop had a slightly lower overall protein level, it was unusual in that we had a very consistent protein level across the whole country. So the average was a little bit lower, but the places that normally we see lower protein, and that's usually further away from the equator, we tend to get slightly lower protein. So in the northern part of the U.S. or in the southern part of South America, um, northern part of the U.S., we actually had, uh, had some better protein levels. Uh, so, uh, I think as we talk with our buyers around the world, one of the things we're trying to talk about is that it was a consistent year. We had a consistent crop uh, throughout the U.S., so there should be limited variation. And, and yes, while Brazil might have slightly higher protein levels, we, we continue to talk with our buyers around the world about the, uh, the concentration of amino acids in U.S. soy and energy levels that we think puts us on a good playing field relative to the South American competitors. I would think this also creates an impetus to make sure that the industry and perhaps even the government are working in terms of research to maintain superiority of the varieties that we raise. That is exactly right. And I'm I'm so pleased to see the work that the United Soybean Board is, is focusing on 
in trying to improve, um, we've, we've kind of crafted the term the nutritional bundle, but really it's the protein level and then the things that go on underneath protein, the amino acids and energy levels. So trying to make investments, working with the seed companies, trying to make investments to improve that uh, and recognizing that that's going to be a long-term effort. But I think there is, as you said, there's a lot of impetus there for, for the United Soybean Board, using the, the checkoff funds, but to work together with industry. So we're all trying to come up with a way to help us to differentiate and build preference for that, uh, for that U.S. soy crop. One of the other things that's going on, and, and some people may have heard about this, but there's, a, there's an effort called the HYQ program and high yield and quality. So it's making sure that we give farmers high yields to grow, but also focusing on this quality. And that's really looking at the soybeans that are grown today, uh, and looking at which varieties have the highest value for the customers of this soy. And so I think that's a really good short-term program, if you will, to try and help farmers be able to better decide which soybeans they should grow that would be the ones that would be the most attractive for their customers and hopefully the best ones for them to produce, consequently. Uh, but then, so it's a nice short-term effort to complement the long-term efforts that I'm so pleased to see the United Soybean Board investing in. And I tell you, those, when I talk with our customers around the world about the combination of those things, uh, they're impressed. They like to see that U.S. people are, the U.S. producers are taking that initiative to try and improve the quality for our customers. Jim, considering an evolving global sphere in terms of demand for oil seeds, are there things that you feel that we'll have to do to be able to reach out to and to, to justify the opportunity for additional market share? Yeah, you know, that's that's really interesting because right now we are working closely with the United Soybean Board, who is working on a new international marketing strategy. And that's really quite exciting for us because, as I think I mentioned before, the United Soybean Board is USEC's biggest, biggest funder. So their key strategic priorities are obviously very important to us, and they drive our priorities. So it's, it's really interesting to sit back and be taking a look at where we think markets will be in, say, 10 years' time and working with importers in those various countries, exporters here in the U.S., and many other stakeholders as we develop this international strategy that will then drive the investments of the United Soybean Board and the work that we do uh, internationally in the years to come. So, yes, we are looking very closely at thinking about what that sphere will look like out there in the future. And it's, uh, I- I'm very happy to see that we're taking that, uh, taking that long-term view and trying to make sure we position ourselves looking for the market, as, as we talked earlier, maybe the next China or maybe the next big opportunity. So we make sure we're putting the right resources there today because it's a long-term game and you need to have long-term investment. So what are the questions you have to ask to get the right answers? Well, I think we have to look at what are the dynamics in each of the individual potential markets that we're looking at. What are the, the income dynamics? What are the type of uh, food that these people want to be consuming? What are potential restrictions that we may face if we go to particular markets? What's the competition doing? All of those various considerations. And then trying to figure out where's the sweet spot that the U.S. can best compete and best be a preferred supplier to those various markets. Jim, the President and the Congress were successful in approving a tax reform bill on 2018's agenda is said to be infrastructure investment. The infrastructure of the U.S., Jim, is it as good as it once was? Is it still an advantage, or is there an area here where the industry needs to take their case to Washington? We continue to be 
blessed, I would say, with probably having the best infrastructure in the world in terms of our export infrastructure with the, the export elevators, the railroads, the waterways, all of those kind of things. But the real concern, and the reason I think it is important people take this to, to, to Washington, is that we need to make sure we maintain that, and we can't let it go backwards, and can't let it become um, less than it is today. And we all know that these uh, these assets are are getting older, and they, they need to be maintained, because we certainly see investments going into South America, we see um, you know, some importing countries uh, actually investing in Brazil, investing in other countries in South America, trying to help them improve their infrastructure. So I think it's very important that while we may have uh, the best today, we don't want to see ours going down when we know that the competitors in other parts of the world are improving theirs. So it is important that we do, do, do work to try and continue to improve ours. Satisfying the consumer has always been top of mind for U.S. farmers, and we've moved from the baby boomers to the millennials and now looking at Generation X and Z. How have the demands of the consumer changed the attitude at which your growers are producing crops? And, and this word sustainability, how is it changing the industry, and what onus is that putting on producers? You know, that's really an interesting question because sustainability is something that uh, a few, you know, a few years ago, we didn't, was, was kind of a vague term. We didn't really know what people meant about it. Uh, five or six years ago, when we started to hear about sustainability requirements that some of the European countries in particular were putting on, uh, going to start putting on uh, the imports of soy, uh, we thought, oh my gosh, this is something that we're going to have to fight against and try and, you try and deal with. We need to play defense against these changes. As we studied that more, as we really looked at it, what we figured out is that sustainability, I think, is the people around the world, the consumers of the world, wanting to know that the food products that they're buying and that they're consuming are not being grown in a way that's harming the environment and that it is something that is sustainable to continue to produce. And then we look backwards at what the U.S. is doing and thanks to the work that uh, USDA has been doing for the last 80 years with their soil conservation program, and the U.S. farmers have been doing so well over the years, we have a really sustainable production system here in the United States. So we've developed a tool called the U.S. Soy Sustainability Assurance Protocol. Well, it's a long name. We, we shorten it to SSAP uh, to keep it simple. So we've created this tool which allows us to verify the sustainable production of U.S. soy that gets exported. And by doing this, we're able to go to customers around the world, and especially the countries that have put restrictions in place that have said only sustainable goods may be imported for use in producing feed in Holland, for example. Uh, and, and using the SSAP, we're able to verify that and show that U.S. soy meets those requirements. It's gaining traction. 16% of U.S. soy exports last year made use of the SSAP and had that verification tool with them. One of the things that we see happening is I think it's millennials all around the world that really seem to be in some ways driving this. I mean, they are very uh, tech savvy. They're very information hungry. And it seems that sustainability is something that really resonates with them. So I think it's a competitive advantage that the U.S. has. It's a way that we're able to meet consumer demand. And so it's something that's quite high on our radar screen in terms of how we talk about U.S. soy and one of the attributes we use to build preference for U.S. soy. Jim, will there be a day or has that day already come 
where the sustainability story supersedes the price that you would pay for the product? I think that price will always be a critical factor because we're dealing by and large with a commodity. But I think that sustainability will become um, one of the underlying requirements, sort of a table stakes requirement that people have. If, if they're going to do business, you're going to have to have a way to verify the sustainability. And because of the great practices that U.S. agriculture has used, by and large, um, we, we don't have a big problem to be able to do that in this country. And I think we have real advantages versus other countries. Jim, we'd like to thank you for taking time to spend with us on this edition of Open Mic. It is Open Mic, and you have the last word. Thank you for the opportunity to talk with you today, Jeff. Uh, I'd just like to say, kind of in conclusion, I'm a big believer in collaboration across the industry and, and the various commodities and the various groups that we work with. We all need to work together as we, as we promote the, uh, the, the exports of U.S. agricultural crops, and in particular soy from our group. So the trade agreements that we talked about, the getting those in place, making sure that we promote the sustainability of U.S. soy, and just making sure that we have this market access that we talk about is, is so important for us to have in place. And I'd like to say a special thanks, if I could, to the many grower leaders that get involved in volunteering and spending their time in the various soy associations that I'm involved with, specifically within USEC, but also uh, ASA and the United Soybean Board. Those groups, um, those grower leaders work tirelessly when we ask them to get involved in the programs that we put on, whether it be to travel to an international market or to meet with the many buyers from around the world that we bring here to the U.S. to host them at their farms. They do just such a great job for us. And that's part of the collaboration that I talk about uh, that is so valuable for us. And it helps us to build this preference and ensure that we have market access for U.S. soy. So I'd like to say a big thanks to all of those people. Our thanks to Jim Sutter, CEO of the U.S. Soybean Export Council, our guest this week on Open Mic. AgriPulse Open Mic is brought to you by NCIS, the National Crop Insurance Services. America's crop insurance industry is thankful for the continued support of farmers, commodity organizations, rural businesses, lenders, and lawmakers who are fighting to maintain a strong farm safety net. Crop insurance remains the smartest, most efficient way to secure America's food, fiber, and fuel supply. For AgriPulse, I'm Jeff Nelling.